0: Ross here from the future. Just to let you know that there are a couple of audio issues at the start of this week's Holding Gear Football podcast. You're not going mental when there's lots of big pauses right at the very start of the show, but after the first couple of moments, just like Eddie Howe's time as Newcastle United manager, after a shaky start, it's all plain sailing from there. Please accept our apologies for this little disturbance at the start of the podcast. I blame Jack Atkins. Internet was only introduced to Liverpool a matter of weeks ago. Thank you very much for your time. You've got to hold and give and do at the right time, and the right time is now to do a podcast about the football. I'm joined, as always, by the illustrious Jack Atkins slash Clive F. Clive, how are you doing today?
1: Um, I mustn't complain, but I've been better, Ross. I've been better. I'll just leave it at that.
0: You can't leave it so open-ended like that. What, how could you be better today? I want specifics. I need details.
1: Well, I took a week off recently and obviously after three days of having a week off, my back went so that I had to stay on the couch against my own uh, wishes. So I was in a great mood and I came back to work last week and instantly got a cold, which I'm still clinging on to. So Great. 35 soon.
0: (laughs) My God. We better put a smile on your face, Clive, by letting you roam free and wild, like those wild horses that Susan Boyle loves to frolic with and tickle the bollocks of. Please, Clive, give us your on this day, you pee freely, what happened on this day in football history. I've just realised I like to fill time with random bollocks that makes no sense at all.
1: I mean... uh... To be fair, I was going to say we've made a career, but what you've made a career, and I've ridden off your coattails off, <laughs> filling air uh, with bollocks. So long may it continue. Uh,
0: it's crap, though. It's <laughs> crap. I, I much prefer being the play-by, sorry, the the, the colour guy, not the play-by-play guy. I prefer being the Ali McCoy's, not the Martin
1: Tyler. <laughs> I mean, no one wants to be Martin Tyler, do they? Really.
0: I wouldn't mind having his legacy. I mean, recent years speak for themselves, but, you know, historically, he's up there with the goats in the mountains, just above the wild horses who Susan Boyle tickles the ballocks off.
1: But you're only as good as you Game, Ross, you know this.
0: Everyone knows that. right? What happened on this day in football history, please? Put me out of my misery. I'll
1: I'll tell you. So we're recording this on November 1st, 2023, the best month of the Roman calendar. But uh, on November the 1st, 1963, we go to Wrexham in Wales, the rain beating down as an expectant mother goes into labor. Soon a baby boy is born with a strong jaw and a lock of luxurious curls. Ah, my little Leslie, cooed his mother as lightning struck nearby. The crack of lightning caused the baby to leap out of his mother's arms and connect beautifully with a scissor kick on a passing fly. Ooh, very sparky of him, remarked his dad. Leslie is fine. Let's go by his middle name instead, our little Mark Hughes.
0: His first name is Leslie. I had no idea. No wonder he had a face like a slap Darcy's entire life.
1: <laughs> Leslie Mark Hughes, apparently, yeah. <laughs> so we go from 1960 to 1997. Man United, were. Absolutely in their pomp, and not long after bumming Barnsley 7-0, uh, they gave Sheffield Wednesday a good seeing to and all with a 6-1 win, uh, two goals apiece from Teddy Sheringham and Oleg Gunnar Solskjaer, one from Andy Cole and a John Newsome own goal, and the Owls goal came from Guy Whittingham when they were 5-0 down.
0: Guy Whittingham, that doesn't sound like a footballer, although I think he was a Football League manager not too long ago, wasn't he Guy Whittingham?
1: I'm thinking of now Guy Mowbray and Dick Whittingham mixed together, and I tell you, that's a, an unfortunate image in my head.
0: Guy Whittingham. Let me Google him because I want to know what he's a, what he's about. <laughs> Whittingham. I can't believe Mark Hughes' first name's Leslie. Not that there's anything wrong with the name <laughs> Leslie, I just assume that Mark Hughes would not like that name. Anyway, Guy Whittingham is 58 years old currently, and I know him from his time as Portsmouth manager between 2012 and 2013. That's about all he's done. He was manager of AFC Newbury between 0506. So, yeah, his career reached a, his peak probably between Portsmouth in 1989 and Aston Villa in 1993. Chef, well, as you said there, it's illustrious, as guy, Whittingham. He's illustrious.
1: Mm. Talking of illustrious, here's one you like. November the 1st, 2014, Newcastle United won. Liverpool Football Club nil. Oh, it was, was, was it uh, Iosi Perez? It was. uh, only goal of the day, you went 12th and we sat at 7th. This was the difficult follow up season for us, and it was Brennan Rogers' last full season in the dugout before getting turfed out.
0: I remember that back in those days Remember, we, I went for a pint with because I, I lived at uni with a scouse I've said this many times on the podcast mm. met up with him obviously this was my first year after uni the 14-15 season just to tell you know, how are you getting on and whatnot. and they were being typical brash scouses going alright you're not a crap we're going to come to St James's and wipe the floor with you and what happened we won 1-0 this was I remember there was like a bit of a resurgence for Newcastle around this time with Iosi Perez who arrived from Tenerife with no reputation Whatsoever <laughs> for like a million and a half pounds or something like that, and he was leading the line with the likes of Media Bede in midfield, flanked by Jack Carlback, <laughs> <laughs> Daryl Daryl Matt at right back, and it was like, Well, we're, we're moving up the league here, and obviously got a big oh. win over Liverpool.
1: Yeah, uh, where did you? I, I can't. This is going. This is the kind of tone which makes me sound like I'm being a, uh, an arsehole, but like I genuinely don't know. Where did you finish that season? Was um, it a decent season the, in terms 15
0: It's the one where we just escaped relegation, where Jonas Gutierrez scored like on the last day of the season against West Ham to keep us up. Because soon after this game here, it, must, it might have been the start of December, that sort of time of 2014, Pards left to go back to Crystal Palace, and we replaced Pards with John Carver who was Pardew's assistant manager, but even worse than Alan Pardew. Oh, I believe I'm the best coach in the league. Me, I'm John Carver. Yeah, we finished 15th on 39 points that season.
1: And Can I say that was a beautiful Vic Reeves impersonation?
0: Thank you very much, but I this win against Liverpool. I've just got the results on that that uh, that uh, from that season. So 18th of October, we beat last one nil. I remember Gabby Obertan scored on that day. The big screen at James's Park was broken that day, so kickoff was delayed. Uh, Tottenham Hotspur one, Newcastle two, Newcastle one, Liverpool nil, West Brom nil, Newcastle two, Newcastle one, QPR nil. Then we went to West Ham and got beat one nil, and then basically didn't win another game that season apart from Chelsea at home. <laughs> All right.
1: See, around this time, this was my um, last little spell of working for HMV because I'd end up moving to Canada in April or May of 2015. So I was working nights at this time. So I was just an absolute shell of a human being. Whether I watched this or not, that's who's to say? Probably, maybe. I can't remember the best of times, never mind when I'm sleep deprived.
0: Anything else yeah, happened not- on this day in football history?
1: Uh, no, that's everything I've got.
0: That's it. Wow, the, the the days are getting a bit. I mean, last week's was a very like historical day in terms of going back to the sixties and whatnot for England nationals and other games that happened. But there's no real, you know, moments that happen on these days that were sat. We need to change the day of record to a Tuesday and see well, what was happening on Tuesday
1: <laughs> in football history. Well, we, we wait with bated breath for whenever we next come together to do this podcast. <laughs>
0: Anyway, over to the Premier League headlines from Game Week 10, as the kids like to call it. Manchester United 0-Manchester City 3. I'm not sure what was going on before kickoff. Jamie Carragher was speculating that maybe there's now an issue between Eric Ten Hag and Raphael Varane at Manchester United because, for some reason, Raphael Varane was picked, oh, sorry, not picked, and Johnny Evans was picked. Why is he picking Johnny Evans over Varane, who was on the bench? Please tell me, Jarkins, you oracle of football.
1: I don't know because wasn't I'm sure I heard the start that this was Johnny uh, Johnny's first derby since what 2012 maybe <laughs> <laughs> something daft. Um, you, you can't say that it's an experience thing because obviously he's got experience, but you, you'd be starting Varan. I've I've been seeing more people calling Ten Hag into question, wondering has he lost the uh, dressing room or is he at least on the path to losing it, but I don't know what's going on we say this every week and it's become almost a crutch now but I don't know what's going on at Manchester United
0: nobody does anyway we have a VAR call for Hoyland's little Strictly come dancing grabbing him by the waist Manu I don't know why I said that so pervy there he was grabbing him by the waist Len Goodman (laughs) having a stiffy from beyond the grave (laughs) Uh, but Roger was grabbed by the waist by Hoyland you're watching it the replays after it happened you're thinking yeah that is a penalty but then you are realising, oh wow these incidents has happened so many times during a game. Why is this one in particular being the one called out?
1: It's weird inconsistencies as well, isn't it? Like you said, to the letter of the law, it's a pen. To me, I felt it was very soft or it's indicative of the current rules of the game. Um, but like you said, well, you see these kind of challenges, these kind of tussles all the time. And, you know, most of the time it doesn't lead to a pen. I don't know what the difference was here. Uh, perhaps they thought, oh, City, a long overdue penalty at Old Trafford, maybe. Let's gift them one.
0: What a lovely segue. <laughs> that was their first penalty at Old Trafford since April 1992. Is Erling Brout Haaland sends Andre Onana the wrong way. It's often skimmed over these days now how much of a brilliant middle name Brout is. So I need to bring it. Bring, I'm bringing the Brout back.
1: Yeah, uh, I think when you get a dog, you should call it Brout. <laughs>
0: I feel like it needs to be a little sort of like soft dog. Like, you know, a Pekinese or something like that. That's going to be called Brout Just to be, you know, it's like getting an Alsatian and calling it like Snuggles or something like that.
1: Yeah. But getting a Pekingese and calling it Browt. <laughs>
0: But going back to the point of these weird, inconsistent calls that referees were making, like Michael (laughs) Oliver on the VAR was on this game, uh, we saw an example of another sort of Strictly Come Dancing uh, sort of like... It wasn't even that. It was like when... I'm trying to think of this. There's a movie where someone picks up a doll and just starts shaking it until all the body parts fall off. This is what Harry Maguire was doing to Erling Braut Haaland in the second half. But I assume because Jack Grealish's cross at the time didn't go anywhere near Erling Braut Haaland... They didn't give the penalty. It was very strange.
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, because we saw um, we saw another example of this this weekend, didn't we? Where something was given because they said if the ball was on a certain trajectory flight, then therefore it's the same as playing a last man and potential goal scorer and opportunity kind of situation. But it's. I don't know it seems like a bit of a model and like you said when you have two in the same game where one's given his penalty and one's not it's it's it's, it's- Haaland, at the end of the day, even if the ball wasn't in his immediate flight path, he's that good that he'd probably score it in off his arse or something like that.
0: Yeah, he does have long limbs as well, which always run to his advantage anyway. Erling Braut, Haaland then scores the second goal where he's unmarked at the far post. It was a wonderful Mm. move uh, from sort of like, it was from back to front. The ball went from right to left, from left to right. And then Haaland put it in. It was a wonderful goal from back to front, from left to right, and then right to left. No, I've got the wrong way around, from right to left, and left to right.
1: Whichever direction it came from, it's the opening of the bit that you said that he was he was completely adrift. There was no United players near him at all. Um, I, part of that, you could say, is excellent tactics from City to give them the runaround. But at the same time, if you're in that back four for United, you're thinking, right, we need at least one, if not two men on this absolute robot of a player at all times uh that's not taking anything away from we you're saying cities build up play but he was wide open it was ridiculous and i did i i felt sorry for anana because i know we've we've given him a bit of stick recently but i felt he had a good game despite um letting a few in but uh yeah he was let down by his defense here.
0: He had a really good game, I thought, or not. He had the saves from Foden in the first half, the Erling Braut Harland header <laughs> in the first half. Uh, the I'm going to stop doing that now. The Haaland one in on the second half as well. It really found. It feels like he's finding his feet now at Old Trafford. But we do have a reason upcoming in the podcast as to why his form might have been a little bit subpar earlier on in the season. I found this news bit this week, and I can't believe it's a real thing. It would only be Manchester United these days. That this would be happening to. Should I say it now? I might as well say it now while we're here we'll get it up why not let me try and find it Me my notes you're, gonna, you're not going to believe this what, what, what do you think the reason is that Onana's form was a little bit shaky at the start of the season
1: The only thing I can think of is that he maybe got a cold due to the leaking roof of Old Trafford. (laughs) That's the only thing I can think of. Even more ridiculous than that. I'll read it out for you. Manchester
0: United's players have complained about the kits being provided by Adidas, a new report has revealed, with goalkeeper Andre Onana currently wearing a replica jersey until sizing issues are resolved. The Daily Mail reports that another issue United are facing are over the quality of kits that Adidas have manufactured for this season. United players... Manchester United, there's more than one United in football you pricks. Manchester United players have reportedly been unable to wear the official home socks from match day two onwards because they are too tight and restrictive to playing. Bruno Fernandes has been playing in a looser pair of replica socks while some others have instead opted to wear plain black Adidas ones instead. Back to Onana he's been unhappy with the fitting of the Adidas goalkeeper jersey claiming it's too tight so he's also been wearing just a replica kit from the club
1: Shop. <laughs> it's amazing. Like like you said, this could only happen to modern day United. Um I've just a bit of an aside, like everyone else, I've just watched the David Beckham documentary. Imagine this happening under Fergie's watch. No. bloody hell? No, I wouldn't have a thought.
0: That whisk it. that whiskey nose would fly off his face if it was happening now, that's for
1: sure. <laughs> yeah, of course it was. Um well, what, what, one little bit about the Beckham documentary. I'd, uh, we'll, we'll get back onto the headlines later. Um, I did love the fact that the way they played with when he went to Real Madrid and they were just like, David Beckham was alone in Spain, no one to talk to. Straight away, the show Steve McManaman. But anyway, <laughs> let's, let's, let's continue. That's great, Fletch. That's great, Fletch. That's great,
0: Fletch. <laughs> I don't miss that on TNT's commentary this season. Anyway, great news for you in the game uh, there, Jackie Orlando, because Bernardo Silva, your favourite footballer, he scored the third goal for Manchester City on the, on the day after some unselfish play from Erling, uh, middle name Harland.
1: <laughs> I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I may dislike Bernardo Silva, but I've never questioned his ability. He's, a, he's an unfortunately very good player and I'm gutted that he didn't go to Saudi Arabia in the summer. <laughs> what can I say? He's a very good player. He is.
0: He was arguably the man of the match, I thought, yeah. in a game where it just felt like uh, it felt like a trading game, by and large, because Manchester City were just keeping the ball without really, you know, taking the incentive from... What am I trying to say? They were just taking their time on the ball. They were just knocking it around the entire pitch, how many times they wanted to, dragging Manchester United players out of position. And then when they saw a little gap, they went for it. It felt like a, a, a training ground exercise for me. Attack versus defence.
1: It was it was a perfect time for City to be playing United because United have clearly got no self belief. The confidence has fallen. Obviously, City have had quite a bit of uh, a bit of fun with United the past couple of seasons, but they just looked completely adrift in every way. And that's again, it's not glossing over how good City are, but it's I think it's more of an indictment an, an indictment of um, how bad United have gone.
0: Yeah, and how bad Eric Ten Hag is doing in the eyes of some fans because the booze that rang out around Old Trafford when Hoyland was taken off uh, for Garnacho in the 73rd minute with Anthony in the background, the little rat. I think he's my least favourite Premier League player at the moment. Who does he think he is sitting there shaking his head thinking, oh, no, Gaffer, I should be coming on to make a difference in this game when he's done absolutely nothing in over a year. Never to mention the allegations against his name as well, which makes him even worse. He's an awful footballer. He obviously came on towards the end of the game and he scythed down Doku, which was a disgusting tackle. And I think he should retrospectively be banned because there was no intent to play the ball. He was just looking to break the legs of the player. He's absolutely wank. But Eric Ten Hag, less about Anthony, I just can't stand him. (laughs) I can do a step over than not score a goal. Why is he getting paid millions a week to do it? Um, But yeah, what about Eric Ten Hag getting booed for those changes?
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously Hoyland's, um the, the Old Trafford crowd have taken to him straight away, but if you're chasing a goal in a derby, you're not going to take him off, are you? Regardless of whether, I don't know if he's come out and said there was concerns about fitness or form or anything like that, you keep him on the pitch. Um, and I'm, The Man United fans, they've experienced a lot of the highest highs over the years and like what gets hit with uh, Liverpool fans get hit with at the moment, it 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 breeds a kind of air of expectation and arrogance, and you you just want to see everyone giving it all for the shirt. And like you said, this this felt like Ten Hag throwing in the towel. And I'm not surprised he's starting to get booed, but I don't can can Man United even afford to sack him?
0: I don't know how long his contract is. Let me quickly Google how long his deal is.
1: He's doing some Googling.
0: I am doing some Googling. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I've, I've just recently changed from Google Chrome to Brave, you know, because of, you know, what Google Chrome take away from your good name without you even knowing. And and, and and Brave's thing is awful. I've just typed in there Eric Ten Hag contract, and it's just the first thing that come up is about him signing a new contract at Ajax. And I, What's that? <laughs> why, why is it not about something more recent? Oh, God, I'm going to have to Google Appointed. And see when he was appointed manager, how long there's going to be Man United fans watching this, um, just tearing their hair out. He's been uh, until June 2025 with his his initial deal, with the option for a further year, which I assume would not be getting taken up unless it already mm. has done uh, before sat here today.
1: Yeah, uh, any Man United fans out there? Obviously, um, comment below what what you think needs to change as well, because it's 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 just it's, it's It's kind of sad, even though there's definitely no love lost for for me and Man United, probably for yourself and Manchester United as well. But it is sad, isn't
0: it? I don't know. If I was Eric Ten Hag, I'd be licking my lips in the position I'm in because people like Gary Neville like to distract the fact that he's maybe not pulling his weight as the manager and not, you know, doing the business with the tools that he has. And the tools that he has, yes, they're not going to win in the league, but... They're well in, as they were last season, you know, finishing top four. They're still capable of doing that, I think, with the additions they made in the summer. Um, But it's just—it's fantastic how all the discourse is all about it needs to change up the top with the Glazers being removed from the club and whoever taken over before any sort of pressure comes on Eric Ten Hag. And I'm sat there thinking, nah, we can do a lot better. I mean, Alan Pardew finished fifth with with Mike Ashley in charge. Anything's possible.
1: Are you saying get pardoned at United? Yes, I am.
0: No, I'm not actually. I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> but I just think all the attention is elsewhere. When maybe you know, obviously, some attention needs to be on the you know the structure of the football club and the the glazers up the top because they aren't investing and they are taking money out the club and all that sort of stuff. Everyone knows the crack with that. But there's not enough scrutiny being put on Ten Hag for me at the minute because it's just he's not doing the business at all.
1: No, no. And I think part of that as well is all all the distractions outside. We're not talking about, you know, um, legal issues concerning certain players on the books, just more the fact that all this kind of training ground and locker room unrest is getting leaked to the papers. They need to shut up shop and just try and sort the problems as best they can and then hope it translates to results.
0: Yeah, big time. Anyway, he'd probably yeah. keep his job because who are they going to get? Who are they going to get? Could they get Unai Emery from Aston Villa? They won 3-1 against Luton over the Premier League weekend there to take it to 12 home league wins in a row. It was a hell of a finish from John McGinn after a lovely free kick from Douglas Louise, right across the edge of the 18-yard box. He's got wonderful vision.
1: <laughs> Great eyes. Oh, lovely eyes. Yeah, you're saying there 12 home league wins in a row for Villa. I'm sure I heard a stat. Um, is it every home game this season or something, Daft? They've scored at least three at Villa Park. They've just yeah. turned it into an absolute fortress. They are I good, could aren't be they? talking completely out my arse. Like I said, I'm coming off a cold, so I can blame it on fever. <laughs> um, but John, McG- John McGinn, like you said, absolutely lovely, well-worked goal. Um, Villa, I thought at the beginning of the season was stuttering but they've just switched it. They've turned the corner and they're just, they're looking fantastic. They're looking absolutely brilliant.
0: They are. They were looking fantastic in pre-season in that American tournament. I think they won the thing in the end, at uh, Pippin Newcastle to the title, whatever that cup was called. But they played us and we were playing this. I think we started the game with like a weird 3-5-2 formation, which just didn't work. But they ripped us apart and went 2-3-0 or three up within 20 minutes. And I was thinking, yeah, they had obviously a very strong end of last season with Emery in charge. That was continuing this season. Then they go to St. James on the opening day and get hoofed. But ever since then, they've been fantastic. And they do look very very, very good and looking likely to finish at least, I'd say, the top six.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, especially as we've seen, like, Chelsea are flattered to deceive. Um, who else would you say is in the conversation? I wouldn't say that you flattered to deceive because I my pre- pre-season predictions were more glowing for Newcastle than yours were, as, as far as I remember. But do you think it is a, a straight shoot between you two for the to try and break back into that six.
0: I think by the time we're sat here maybe in six weeks' time and we've had this next run of fixtures, Newcastle will be mid-table. Our do- we Our squad is nowhere near strong enough to maintain Champions League and if we get through tonight against Man United the Carabao Cup and the Premier League we against Wolves at the weekend it's not in the Premier League headlines of the weekend for me there but we were absolutely spent after 60 minutes all these injuries we've got it's just it's not going to be sustainable we've got a a very tough run of fixtures coming up now starting with Arsenal at the weekend that's not like obviously starting tonight against Man United but that's a a cup game but in the league we've got Arsenal at home at the weekend then from there it doesn't get well, it gets a a bit easier but not much easier and it's just the names we've got out and the players we've got available like we had two goalkeepers on the bench at the weekend there against Wolves we had just uh, three or four left backs, Paul Dummett was there uh, what's his face, Lewis Hall from Chelsea was there but he's still not getting a game for some reason we had Tino Livramento who's a right back we had no centre forwards because Izak's injured now, Wilson's sort of, you never know if his hamstrings are going go pink so yeah Villa will be, my prediction is Villa will be well ahead of Newcastle by the time the season's over well ahead
1: that's uh, Tweddle's that's headline right there. There we go. Get that in print.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, but back to Aston Villa anyway. Diaby then scored the second goal with a lovely drive into the bottom corner after a knockdown from across at the far co- uh, the far post. Then it is Luton Town icon Tom Lockyer, ah, Lockyer, uh, who puts the ball into his own net after a lovely ball in behind from Kamara, which was sort of played across. The goal there. I should main- I should explain. I do the the EAFC two four career mode with Luton. On the channel, and in the first season, Lockjaw was the captain. And the, ga- the game in real life, before I started doing the career mode, the commentator had like a southern accent, so he was just saying like, "Oh, here comes Lockjaw coming down the wing," and I was just like, "Coming down the wing." Here's Lockjaw stepping out from the back. That's a bit more realistic. And I was like, just the way he was saying <laughs> at the end there just reminded me of like, you know, the meme, the mem, the meme of like, "Oh yeah." So I've just that's what I call him Lockjaw from now.
1: Was it was it Martin <laughs> Tyler who used to like proper put an R on the end of Drogba as well, Drog Bar?
0: Bar. Andy Gray yeah. used to do that. I remember every time he would commentate on Barcelona and he would always mention Tiago Motar. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, he made him sound like a Scottish international, <laughs> not a Mexican international. <laughs> Are you all right? He's dying.
1: I'll, I'll, I'll be all right. to kill me. Out.
0: <laughs> um, but yeah, it was. We got a fantastic own goal in this Aston Villa game as well. It was from Martinez, the goalkeeper. More on him in the podcast a little bit later as well. After somehow Konza, um, Esri Konza, as I know he called him Jeffrey Konza for some reason. <laughs> don't know where Jeffrey came from in my head. Maybe it was Jeffrey Dahmer because he somehow headed the ball <laughs> against his own crossbar, which then hit uh, Martinez on the back of the back or back of the neck, whatever it was, and went into his own goal. A fantastic own goal, the likes of which you don't see too often in the modern game. I was very happy to see that one. But Villa are now up to fifth, just one point off the top four. And as I was saying there, is there maybe a case for Man United to go sniffing around Emery?
1: I can't see it happen. Uh, happen, happen I can't see it happening uh, only because em, of obviously Emery had that run with Arsenal he's already like he, he's not like that manager who's searching for that big test with you know a top top team he's been there he, you know he, he got turned into a bit of a meme and now he's doing such good work with Villa if I was him I'd stay there and just try and build it he's got a good team I don't think he, he's going to get raided like some other teams like Brighton etc have been raided I think They seem a bit more stable, Villa. If I were him, I'd be trying to just kind of consolidate them and establish them as a top six team. Because if he does go to United, he could fritter it all away. And such is the chaos of Manchester United that he could, you know, walk into the job and then be out of there by the end of the season. So I'd stay at Villa.
0: I'm in a full agreement with you there, Joe Atkins. I don't think he should go either. But I just thought I'd put it out there because he is arguably the the form manager in the league who isn't one of the top ones, obviously, like Ange and Pep and Mikel.
1: And Jürgen.
0: And Jürgen. Arsenal 5, Sheffield United <laughs> nil. All the headlines, of course, made by Eddie Nketiah and his hat-trick. The goals got better and better and better as they went on and on and on. Arsenal closed the gap to two points on Spurs at the top of the table. Happy the Arsenal! There was a lovely touch from Eddie Nketiah for his first goal past the defender. After a nice ball in from Rice, where somehow we put it through the legs of the defender and then through the eye of another needle which was behind the defender's leg. Like, so he's, he started two needles there in one pass. And somehow it got to Nketiah and his touch before putting it in there. I've described it as some nice Nico Schlotterbecks because he sh- he slotted that goal, that ball into the back of the net there. He slots it.
1: <laughs> That's It's it's more poetic than my notes where I've just caught Nketiah first goal. So composed.
0: <laughs> it was that as well. <laughs> His second I say his goals are getting better and better with the goals, that's just a complete lie. His first goal is probably the second best one. Then his second goal is probably the worst one after some poor goalkeeping from Premier League Wales, as Paolo Canio called him all those years ago when he played for Swindon Town. Premier League Wales has got to be stronger than he was in that moment there and Eddie and Kenny was there just to twat the ball into an open top corner, basically. And then his third.
1: OH, <laughs> oh! It, it... <laughs> It was the uh, textbook definition of the uh, the proverbial thunder bastard, wasn't it, Ross?
0: Twenty five yards in at the top corner. I can't believe he went for it. You just you just don't associate Eddie and ketty with that sort of strike. But there he was doing it. I know it's against Sheffield United, but you know you can only beat who's in front of you. The fact he went for it, he's flying.
1: Yeah, yeah. Three shots and three goals. I mean, you can't can't say fair, fairer than that. Um, I can't remember what was the stats after the game. Is he, oh, I remember. I, I want to say he's one and two now in the league. Cause obviously those, those three goals have really helped him out. But um, like you say, if you just going on pure statistics on on the sheet and you made up for him though, aren't you as well? Because obviously he, he looked, he looked so happy. Uh, I like the fact that after the third one as well, the way that his teammates presented him with the ball as part of the celebration. It was just cute, wasn't it, Ross?
0: <laughs> He is 1-2, he's got 5-10 so far in the league this season. I think he said after the game as well, his auntie passed away Some lads who is was dedicating the goal to her with all his family there, which adds an extra nice layer to the niceness, doesn't it? Um, but then, of course, later in the game, he paused up a bit because I think the commentator on Match of the Day noted that he could have become only the third Arsenal player to score four goals in a single Premier League game alongside Thierry Henry and Andre Shaven. Um, yeah. but he great, gave,
1: go, great game that, yeah. Great yeah, it was a that, good yeah. game that, yeah. <laughs> it's four.
0: Ah. Oh, not bad. Lovely, lovely amber <laughs> kit as well for Aston that day, wasn't it? Um, but yeah, that he, he gave the penalty instead. To, uh, Vieira, who took the penalty, who won the penalty as well, I should say, and he put it away, therefore taking that potential record-breaking goal away from Eddie Nketiah. I mean, everyone wants to grow up and score four goals in a game. That's the be-all and end-all of football.
1: Yes, of course, but um, I no, I don't. You want you don't want to see situations like where we've seen with other teams, um, like Man United. Oh God, it just feels like we're punching at Man United, but we don't mean it. Um, in the past few years, with this people fighting over the ball, no, oh, I want to take the penalty. No, I want. To, it's like, it Doesn't matter as long as whoever takes it puts it in the back of the net. Um, and like you said, Vieira won the pen as well. I've always been in the kind of mindset if you've not got a. Uh, nailed on penalty taker every time whoever wins it should take it really that's but that's just that's just me being an old dreamer isn't it (laughs) do you want to tell
0: me how many premier league games Eddie Nketiah has now played for Arsenal
1: have a guess it's gonna be something stupid isn't it um he made his debut in
0: 2017 2017 yeah he's 24 you know he's 25 in May
1: Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, In my head, he was the bottom 22. I think (laughs) such such is the youth of this Arsenal side. Um, I'm going to say uh, 80... 99, which is a
0: lot more Ooh. than I thought he did. 99 league games, 19 girls ready in Kettia. But back to the game itself. Tommy Tomiyasu! Giving it a bit of the Ronaldos by stabbing it in. Just when it felt like Sheffield United had down tools like they do just about every game so far this season. They are now on one point from 10 games as Derby County start to smile. <laughs>
1: I don't think anyone's surprised. We said before a ball been kicked this season that we had no hopes of Sheffield United really doing anything this season. Um, they're just a shambles. Uh, I've in my notes, I can't actually. Uh, say out loud what I've written in my notes because we'll get demonetised by YouTube but I've put the chef are a word that also begins with SH so uh, <laughs> I'll let you figure that one out Schlotterbeck
0: oh that's a CH bollocks anyway Crystal Palace 1 Tottenham Hotspur 2 on Friday night is the other headline I think from the Premier League weekend there everything else was just by and large you know as you would come to expect I thought maybe apart from Dev going down to West Ham and getting that big win where they look very good and Everton are on quite a run of form
1: yeah, uh, obviously, um, something I'll come on to later, they've uh, recently lost Bill Kenwright, Um and been hit with, uh, you know, potential docking of points could be coming to, to them from the Premier League, which I think is a bit of a Pujar's region um, concerning the timing of it all. But on the pitch, they seem like they're turning the corner. Having Calvert-Lewin back and, you know, Touchwood fit seems to have really galvanised them because we've said it a few times, that Everton, if they just had a goal scorer, they'd look all right. And now that they've got, you know, DCL, now that he's back, that they're not looking too bad. So, but we're not talking about the F, We're talking about Palace and Spurs, aren't we? Ross? We are,
0: yeah. It was a hell of a turn and finish from DCL though. But, you know, back to Palace and Spurs on Friday night. Ainge now has the most points collected from any Premier League manager in their first league our first 10 league games in charge with 26 after this win which was kicked off in the second half. i think it was with joel ward putting in an own goal after a hard and low from jimmy madison then we had the goal, of well, is it the goal of the game? I thought it was the best move of the game where we had Brennan Johnson and Jimmy Madison working wonders down the left wing with headers and passes and all sorts going on. So Song could have a nice little Nico Schlotterbeck in the middle of the six-yard box with not much of a, a Crystal Palace presence around him. And then why, in what was his 500-lead game in charge of any club, was um, he had his chips well and truly pissed on until somehow Jordan Ayu dried up a little bit of the piss that was on the chips to make them ever so slightly pissy and not full piss with a wonderful volley. It was so sweet. I've put him, I bet it made his <laughs> bedtime cocoa taste a little bit more sweeter, Roy, because I'm really condescending towards the aged, apparently. <coughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, so so Roy there, what, washing down piss and chips with cocoa, of course, and <laughs> um, Watching this, though, I wasn't, you said obviously for, for spares a second, they absolutely carved them open. I, I wasn't too impressed with them. I thought the Palace exposed them at times and could have scored a few. But the mark of any form team, the mark of any team making a title challenge is riding your luck and grinding out a win by any means. So I, I can't fault the performance on that. But I do think they are riding the luck a bit. That's not taking anything from Ange Postecoglou. That's not taking anything from the team. But I, I do feel that there is a spanking coming their way from someone.
0: Let me add to the book of cliches I've got down by the side of me here. Winning when not playing well is the sign of
1: champions. Up oh, the book of cliches.
0: <laughs> uh, but do you think, Jack, is that uh, Spurs can win the Premier League?
1: I don't see why not. Um, again... Uh, it's what's the old cliche, isn't it as well? If they're, if they're top at Christmas, then apart from only like twice ever, they'll win the league. And those two times were Liverpool. But if, like you said, you can only beat what's in front of you. They've collected 26 points from the opening 10 games. They're riding the their luck. They are playing really free-flowing, attacking football. There seems to be unity on the pitch. There seems to be a weight lifted since they got rid of Harry Kane, which we didn't think we'd be saying. Um, if things keep going their way, there's, there's no saying that they can't. But it's Spares at the end of the day. And there's a reason why the term Sparesy is there. But for the present, for the present term, I don't see why not. Not on this form.
0: I'll think they'll finish third. That's where I'm putting, I'm nailing my flag to the yeah, instead I think it'll be City, Arsenal, Spurs, Liverpool. That'll be my top four, I think.
1: Mm, I'm still saying City, Liverpool, Arsenal and then Spurs. I think I'd originally said Chelsea, didn't I? would get that fourth spot. <laughs> but I, I, I think they'll get top four, definitely. Yeah,
0: we should mention Harry Kane's goal as well from the weekend there. Just by hearing his name there, just thought of him. Nico Schlotterbecking it from the halfway line, if it if it, <coughs> if it can be described as a, as a Schlotterbeck from that far out. What a goal!
1: What? Well, well, yeah, it from the halfway. Yeah, um, <laughs> he he's really taken to life in Germany. Well, hasn't he? Yeah. Um, it's uh, all that you know, Kartoffel Salat, and Verst uh, fueling him to really up his game is, got... is that is that racist me he's calling out <laughs> delicious german food who knows
0: no because it's only arrive only available properly in germany that's what i've learned when you go to the christmas markets over here in england you get a you get a bratwurst or a currywurst it's not the same as when you go to germany and get the
1: authentic one Oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, are, are you going to be? Are you going to be having some currywurst on your next venture over to Germany, Ross?
0: I am booked into an authentic German restaurant on the Monday night, and I simply cannot wait. There is many sausages in there, and I can't wait to have them in and around my mouth. Um, but Harry Kane at Bayern Munich has got twelve goals in nine league games so far, so it's, it's not going too bad for him. And I guess we should round out with a little bit from our own teams. It wasn't really the headline grabbing weekend for either Newcastle or Wolves. The thing from the Newcastle game, I want to just say on the. Carry- So it's there and recorded for history, generations of history to just sit back and marvel at how unbiased I am. That was not a penalty. Fabian Shah was not fouled. It should not have been a penalty. VAR needs to be scrapped until it eliminates the further possibilities of more human error on top of the initial human error. It can't be going on like it is at the moment. But as they say, as I open the book of cliches once again down below me, they all even themselves out by the season's end because the amount of times, especially last season, that Newcastle got hoofed by VAR, including a certain game at Anfield, it all evens itself
1: out. And we'll come on to VAR a little later from me. Um, But yeah, definitely not a penalty. Uh, If I was a Wolves fan, I'd be feeling a bit aggrieved because like you said, at times they were absolutely all over you. Um, lucky to come away with the point there.
0: I I thought it was quite an even game we had a few chances ourselves but I do think Wolves shaved it it wasn't as wasn't as wide a yawning chasm as you're painting it there you dick Uh, but we are (laughs) (laughs) we are just it was clear in the second half we're just we're we're clinging on we haven't got the squad depth it's not good enough and I think that's going to be our downfall for this upcoming stretch of games especially (laughs) any thoughts on the Reds from the weekend there
1: uh, we're mustard. So, yeah, we're quite good. Um, I I love Darwin Nunez. Um, as our friend Lewis Housewood put it, he is the epitome of a Barclaysman. He's just carnage, and uh, I'm really enjoying watching uh, us play at the moment.
0: That Messi did it in the Europa League at the week on Thursday. There though when he's gone around the goalkeeper and hit the post come on now
1: <laughs> it's, it's, it's the most beautiful miss you've ever seen it, the footwork from him was incredible and then some of the Liverpool fans are taking the piss online spinning it saying Darwin Nunes is that good and that unselfish he spotted he spotted the approach at Gravenberge in the reflection of the post and played it to him via <laughs> the woodwork
0: no he didn't he missed because he's an erratic boy
1: uh, he is on. an erratic boy but he's
0: great yeah I, I reckon I would have liked him if he played for for Newcastle he seems like one of those players that you only appreciate when you see him like you know week on week on week seeing what he does all minutes of the game not just when he's on match of the day missing chances he should probably score
1: (laughs) it's 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 I think we've again mentioned it before like when you go to a football party when you're eight and you don't understand positions and marking and everyone just runs at the ball he plays like he's at an eight-year-old's birthday party <laughs> and it's wonderful to watch.
0: <laughs> right, we go from the ridiculous to the sublime, which was the week in football headline news that wasn't football matches. I mean, I mean uh, Martinez of Aston Villa has been named the 2023 Yashin Trophy winner at the Ballon d'Or ceremony for his heroics with Argentina during the 2022 World Cup. Of course, it's all about, well, it's about more than just the one save, but that save from Wandel Muani uh, in the final proven pivotal before their victory on penalties at the Lucille Iconic Stadium. I've obviously reading out a thing here. Uh, thoughts on him being the goalkeeper of the year? The best goalkeeper on earth place for Aston Villa, um, apparently.
1: Uh, he's not, but good for him. <laughs> put that, put that I mean, the own goal at the weekend just summed up Martinez to me. He's just, again, another a top tier Barclays, man. He is a good throwback to the, the days of the lunatic goalkeeper. But yeah. I don't put much stock in awards ceremonies for any walk of life. Like people who watch the Oscars, who cares? It's millionaires getting patted on the back and whatever wins the best picture at the Oscar usually isn't the best film of the year. I feel the same about the Ballon d'Or. It should be something for the players themselves that they want, but it's been blown out of all proportion in this social media age. God, I sound old. Uh, Martinez, He's a very good keeper don't get me wrong but he's not the best keeper on the planet.
0: He's had the most memorable year for a goalkeeper I'd say with the world cup being in mind because it is you know it's still the pinnacle of football winning the world cup no matter if you don't like international football or not you know it's, it's still the the biggest thing you can do as a footballer I'd say so the fact that he played such a big role in that Generally, the final and the final itself I think it's it's fairly deserved if that's the metric they're measuring it by not just you know performances in the Barclays um, but just you know as a whole the international tournament is the biggest end all be all of football but there we go Erling Braut Haaland has been awarded the 2023 Gert Müller Trophy uh, for his incredible debut season with Manchester City the Norwegian striker netted a blockbuster 36 Premier League goals during the 2022-2023 campaign as his side won with the, the top flight title as well as the Champions League and the FA Cup. He finished the campaign with 52 strikes in all competitions. I mean, <laughs> I saw his dad laughing on social media because obviously Messi was given the main prize we'll get on to us in a second. But it is remarkable how, obviously I know the metric is that, you know, measure things just off the World Cup and not much else. How could you with Messi after his last year with PSG and with Inter Miami? But it is a little bit funny that Harlan didn't win this year with 52 strikes in all competitions.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've said before that another reason why I'm not massively keen on the Ballon d'Or is it only seems to honour goal scorers as opposed to... You'll never get a a, a defensive midfielder winning it, will you? John McGinn. John McGinn. There we go. John McGinn for Ballon (laughs) Uh, d'Or. But... yeah, yeah, you can't argue it was Haaland's because just the, the improvements he's made season upon season and he, not only did you say that the, the amount of goals he scored, not only the trophies he's won with City, the records, he shattered every single time he stepped on a pitch. Um, but it is what it is. It's It, it was Messi's again.
0: It was over at the ladies' game. Barcelona and Spain midfielder Atar, uh, sorry, Etana Bonmati. She won the uh, the twenty twenty three Ballon d'Or Feminine, uh, beating a host of like uh, England internationals to to the award. There, I, I, to be honest with you, I can't comment much on it, but it's a thing that happens. So, congratulations to her.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. Again, it's uh, we we don't follow the women's game as closely as we probably will in a season or two, but it is still growing
0: it is still growing up the yeah. bon Matty for winning that there uh, award Then of course the headline of the evening was Leo Messi winning the 2023 Ballon d'Or he's won it for an eighth time if you ever find yourself at the Camp Nou in Barcelona they've got the other seven I assume this one as well now in the, in the museum at Barcelona it's a lovely thing to go and stand and have your picture taken next to although don't put your flash on they're all in perspex boxes that'll reflect top tip there <laughs> Top tip there, everybody. (laughs) Keep your flash off. Uh, So, Messi, he he pipped the likes of Erling Haaland, as we said there. De Bruyne was in the mix for it for some reason, even though he's missed, it feels like, over half the season with through injury. Killian Mbappe was there, obviously, once again. Um, It's all just because of the World Cup. He's done nothing at club level. I mean, it was fantastic to see him do that on his debut for Inter-Miami, for example. But... It is for Inter-Miami where they do have terraces that are lit- literally scaffolded and, and not a real stadium. So ca- how much can you read into that really when you're on about the Ballon d'Or?
1: Yeah, and uh, again, it's it's what we're saying about how, uh, you yeah. know, you, you can't really feel sorry for Mbappe because he's got more money than I've got beard hairs. But the fact that he's the only, the second person ever to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, and not only didn't win the World Cup, but didn't win a Ballon d'Or either. But... I think the Ballon d'Or, it's a personal achievement. I'm not going to lose sleep over who wins or doesn't win it, but um, it will be interesting going forward now we're kind of out of the Messi and Ronaldo era because... It boring, isn't it? We're in the <laughs> Brout
0: Mbappe and now, baby. Who's going to win it next year? Find out when. Someone probably pays off someone at FIFA, and that's who gets awarded with the prize. Speaking of FIFA, Australia have confirmed that they will not be bidding to host the 2034 Men's World Cup, leaving Saudi Arabia as the sole nation left in the running to host the tournament. The deadline was set for Halloween. Woo! For any nations to submit their, <laughs> their. Scary. To submit their bid to host the 23 tournament with Saudi Arabia, declaring their intentions back on the 9th of October by stating they were extremely committed to presenting the most competitive bid possible that will also help unite the world through football. Even them themselves are saying, we do the sports washing. Very nice. Uh, Saudi Arabia progressed their bid. FIFA invited bids from countries in Asia and Oceania as part of their bid. Well, to take the World Cup over there for the first time since 2002, basically. Uh, the only interesting nation was Australia, but they have now since decided against entering the running. There's been all sorts of images going around social media of Gianni Infantino, the rat, the bald rat, Uh, sitting next to all these powerful people in football, assumably, well, you know, allegedly, I should say, this is just my personal opinion, not based on any sort of fact whatsoever, accepting money for certain privileges, like hosting World Cups. I'm not suggesting that's happened now, but it it probably has.
1: (laughs) Yeah, again, uh, the but based on own opinions, based on nothing that we've seen, based on nothing that we've heard, just based on a gut reaction, which is nothing that we are saying in, you know, print or as a statement of any beliefs of Holding Give, its parent channel or whatever. Uh, FIFA aren't even trying to hide their corruption anymore, are they? And on one hand, you've got to, you know, take your hat off to them for being so brazen, but yes. for God's sake, um, it's going to be another Winter World Cup, which, you know, will be News to your ears, but not to mine, because I like a summer World Cup.
0: I'd like to retract Um, my earlier statements about the Winter World Cup. It wasn't all it was cracked up to be. No. The romance of the situation took me or captivated me a bit too much. I think, you know, the crackling fires, the warm cider on the bar, the winter beers, which are always fantastic anyway, the Christmas decorations up the tree in the corner, but it wasn't as good as it was because the pub gets too full. At least when you're outside yeah. watching on a big screen, you've got room to disperse. Yes, sometimes you might not get a seat, but that's that's part of the game. You have to go there very early to get a seat. But when you're all in a pub, it's a bit, it always, it's just too hot.
1: <laughs> and it was horrible. It was horrible last year because the first game fell on my birthday. So I was out and about for my birthday midweek thinking, oh, everywhere would be quite quiet, it'd be quite nice. But now there's just students walking around going, England, wearing shorts at the end of November. And I was like, oh. I just want to have a bit of cake but there we are but uh, yeah well well done well done Saudi Arabia I'm sure your bid will go through successfully <laughs> oh it will do yeah
0: some horrible news now it's the latest on Luis Diaz's parents now because uh, Colombian police have confirmed they are searching a forest in a bid to find Luis Diaz's father who was recently abducted uh, both of Diaz's parents were kidnapped over the weekend with national authorities confirming that the abduction occurred when the pair were stopped by gunmen on motorbikes near the border with Venezuela Diaz's mother uh i can't pronounce her first name selenis Silen- Killanis, one of the two uh was rescued over the weekend there uh, however the 26 year old father is still missing the colombian army have been drafted in in an aid to search for diaz's father a move that was confirmed by the colombian attorney general's office i don't even know what you say about that but it's news you you never expect to hear
1: yeah uh it's it's unprecedented isn't it obviously the um he's not been up for selection for the Liverpool game at the weekend. He won't be for the cup game tonight. Um, Diogo Jota held up his shirt and, you know, tribute to him after our first at the weekend. But I don't know what, what you can say. You, you can't even begin to imagine what that feels like. It, it's such a, a foreign concept to us, sitting in the comfort of our, you know, of our homes right now. But uh, yeah, let's hope there's a, a positive outcome to all this.
0: Yeah, big time. What will we'll not have a positive outcome is the latest investigations into certain things going on in football clubs, namely Chelsea this time, because the transfers of both Samuel Eto and Willian to Chelsea in 2013 has now been a uh, formed part of a Premier League investigation into potential financial breaches. A new report has revealed this week, Jarkins, The Jew arrived from Stamford Bridge, uh, obviously a decade ago now, from the now defunct club Angie Makakallatla, Eto on a free transfer and Willian for around... £30 million. Pounds. Uh, the Premier League investigation into payments to secretive offshore companies, while well, under the ownership of Roman Abramovich, was first reported by the Times in August, weeks after Chelsea agreed to pay an £8.6 million pound fine relating to incomplete accounting under the ownership of the Russian. And now the <coughs> Times' latest report says the financial records suggest the payments were, wa- were made to, and I quote, Russian entities outside of the agreed transfer fees, with the new issues uncovered during the due diligence process that eventually saw Todd Bowley's Clear Lake Capital Consortium take control of the club. The alleged payments to offshore companies are understood to have taken place between 2012 and 2019, which is obviously before the new regime took over. I mean, we've got Manchester City going on, bubbling away in the background, 115 counts. If you re- believe the reports of last week there, Everton have breached it once and they're going to get whizzle-wazzle with a 12-point fine, even though Manchester City's 115 are still bubbling away in the background. And now Chelsea, will they be acted upon before Manchester City gets acted upon? What's going on?
1: Uh, I don't think they'll do anything to Chelsea. Like They're probably not going to do anything to City. Um because God, I'm so defeatist today, aren't I? Um, if if they are found to be in serious breaches, then obviously they should be punished. Um, like I was saying before with Everton, if Everton have found to have breached certain rules, then they should be punished. But it needs to be an economy of scale. You can't just say, "Oh, City, you've got what was it, 100 and Fif- however 15? many, 115." Oh, we'll wait and see if we'll slap you on the wrist. Everton, you've got one potential 12 point deduction into a, a lower league more than likely uh and you've got mountain financial pressure and oh yeah we've thought we'd announce this the week that your chairman died um as for chelsea but part of me feels a bit sorry for todd bowley that this, this didn't even happen under his watch and he's like i've already spaffed hundreds of millions on this team and now they're costing me even more but if they've if they broke the rules they've They need to be punished.
0: Yeah, I want these investigations to go further back. There's no way when Abramovich took over, he wasn't breaking a few rules here and there to get your Crespos and your Makalele's in back then. Allegedly, allegedly, allegedly.
1: Allegedly, allegedly, allegedly. Based on nothing at all, I reckon he's definitely had a few people killed. (laughs) I didn't
0: think we were going that
1: balls deep, but there we
0: go. <laughs> the sooner we move on, the better. The league Oom game between Marseille and Lyon. Did you see this over the weekend? Schedule for Sunday night was postponed after the visiting team's bus was attacked. Leaving manager Fabio Grosso, who of course scored the winning World Cup penalty in 2006. That's the same guy, isn't it? Is it? Was it Grosso who scored the? the- The winner, the clincher? I think it was. I might be talking bollocks there. He was left with a horrible facial injury. Uh, Leon's bus was damaged extensively. as stones were thrown at the vehicle while it was en route to the start. Orange Velodrome, excuse me. Videos circulated on social media show uh, gaping holes in the windows while Grosso has been pictured sporting his face was busted up like a wrestler from Texas in 1985 so he did Uh, the game was due to kick off at quarter to eight GMT back then uh, but the postponement was made by officials a few minutes before that the Leon owner John Texter as I'm trying to hold in a sneeze in a way where I'm just rubbing my nose for audio listeners oh let's rub the nose oh yeah the sneeze has disappeared (laughs) but Leon owner John Texter was insisting that his team still wanted to play the game telling Prime Video Sport no we didn't ask to cancel the match very Quickly after it happened, we had a team meeting. Our team decided that we, oh, they would play. They wanted to play. They were ready to play. I'm very proud of the captain. Wanted to do that. The decision was made independently of us. We wanted to play football. We're angry. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, this uh, this one completely passed me by. Um... You'll have to. I'll have to have a look at the images afterwards. But it sounds absolutely horrific.
0: Oh, it was a big busted open moment. Like he was completely wizzle wazzled. Uh, but uh, I don't think it's it, <laughs> the fact that the team wanted to play, even though this had happened to their manager. Coupled with the fact that Leon's manager Fabio Grosso has taken charge of four games. He's won none, drawn one, and lost three conceding two goals a game and scoring one goal a game on average and the fact they wanted to play when he wasn't going to be there that doesn't screw to me a team that's fully behind the manager
1: I don't know though because you know footballers like most sports people are an odd breed perhaps they thought oh this is a, this is an omen this is a sign you know the blood of our manager will turn that to the blood of sporting victory I don't know you know they are probably fired up adrenaline pumping wanting to do one for the manager, want to get one for the gaffer, but but on the other hand, yeah, yeah, I can see your point of them being like, ah sod him, he's crap and now he's bleeding. <laughs> they would have said exactly like that with the
0: accent and everything. Anyway mm. Good news to end the news section on this week. FIFA have confirmed that disgraced former RFEF president Luis Rubiales has been banned from all football-related activities for three years. Rubiales eventually resigned from his role as president in early September after planting a non-consensual kiss on Spain striker Jenny Hamaso in the aftermath of the, uh, the Women's World Cup final. There's triumph, obviously. Hamaso filed a legal complaint against Rubiales for the kiss, as well as his attempts to coerce the World Cup winner into making a statement in order to alleviate the the pressure on him which was a detail that sort of passed me by he's even more of a poo head to keep things pg on the podcast than i thought he was the former president has since appeared in court in madrid to respond to allegations of sexual assault and coercion levied at him along with action being taken against him in court rubiales has also been invest under investigation by the fifa disciplinary committee who has now confirmed a three-year ban uh, from all football is due to his breach of article 13 of fifa's disciplinary code Oh, the Article 13.
1: <laughs> Glad to see he's been banned. Is his, uh, Does the report say if his mum still cry arse about the as well? Oh, probably,
0: probably. What's it with these mothers <laughs> getting involved in these football people's old deals? Uh, but yeah, if it's, I can't believe it went on as long as it did. But I guess that speaks more to how things are maybe run with the Spanish FA or the RFAF and also parts of FIFA as well. But at least we got there in the end.
1: Yeah, because it seemed open and shut, didn't it? To everyone watching who didn't have a vested interest in the actual uh, corridors of power within world football, we're just like, "Oh, that's that's not on." Gen- <laughs> most, I called it out. Get rid of him, but now, like you said, rumbled on. Uh, points there that were kind of swept under the rug during the reporting of it as well. Not swept under the rug, but yeah. didn't come as much to light. I'm gonna sneeze. Continue. Go on,
0: get it out. Go on. That was the end of the, the football news week, but we'll we'll wait for the sneeze with bated breath. Go on, five,
1: no, it That's gone three. It's gone, oh, it's, it's gone. gone. Wonderful. I man. haven't I haven't stopped today. Like I've i bit have felt all right these last few days. Now Sean's got my cold, and then today, seemingly, my body said, "You're not letting her be iller than you." I have a sneezing fit this morning. And I must have sneezed about thirty times to the point where I was just swearing at myself, telling <laughs> myself to stop it. Could but you it say that was your obviously.
0: highlight of the week, Jenkins?
1: Uh, no, but I do have a highlight for you if you want, Ross. Please tell me, Jarkins. <laughs> that was disgusting. <laughs> I hated that. So, um, highlight of the week for me. Uh it was the tri- tributes to Bobby Charlton and Bill Kenwright um over the weekend. Uh again, staunch Liverpool fan. And but both men were honoured before Liverpool vs Forest at Anfield. Huge round of applause for a Man United legend and you know a, a Everton through and through, Bill Kenwright, But um, especially with the latter, latter, Kenwright, as much as he was, you know, an Everton figurehead for many many years, he was just a proud Liverpool and did a lot for the city and spoke out a lot. And he was. He, his performance as chairman, this isn't the time to be having this conversation, but he seemed like an all right fella. And it was just, the things like this, are, are, as much as you don't want to see, obviously legends of the game and figures of the game pass away. It is nice that football football fans can put aside rivalries and just like, you know, one last round of applause for Bill Kenwright and obviously the Gracer Bobby Charlton.
0: Aye. Uh, I was saying last week, I hope that uh, the recent years of his tenureship at Everton didn't sort of blight his like, like, outlook his, his legacy at Everton too much, because what I was saying last week, like the, I always associated Everton growing up, obviously I grew up a child of the 90s, them being, you know, di- dancing with relegation most seasons. Then when he came in in 1999, I know he wasn't spending <laughs> lavish amounts of money, but it always felt like he spent what he could to, you know, give David Moyes especially uh, the, the best chance he could to be successful. The way those two turned it around for Everton, you know, for that period of time where they were finishing, you know, fourth, one year, but largely fifth, sixth, seventh, that sort, of, that sort of area. I thought that, yeah, you know, looking back between the 90s and where they are now especially, he did very, very well. So I hope that, the, you know, the stuff with Farhad mashiri getting involved doesn't sort of tarnish his legacy too much.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's, he's been a bit of a figure of fun for Liverpool fans. Obviously, you know, we all like to joke about where the Arteta money is and where the, the Undies money is as well. Do you remember that one? No. When uh, one, one season, you remember the old, like, 90s footy shorts, you used to have netting and yeah. Well, upon the season, the netting was gone from inside the Everton shorts and someone went on Twitter and just put, where's the undies money, Bill? Where's the (laughs) money that we're saving on all these undies? Well, like I said, a a figure of fun at times, especially while Liverpool have, you know, had a better few years on the pitch than Everton, but it's it's a warm rivalry most of the time, Liverpool versus Everton, so... Yeah, he seemed, he seemed like a decent fella, Bill, Bill Cameron, right?
0: Sorry, I out a terrible yawn at the wrong time there. But yeah, there were, that has been nice to see the tributes pouring out over the past week or so. Up oh, the Charlton. Hmm. Up the Bill Ken. Right. My highlight of the week is a little bit more current because of... Uh, I've said the wrong turn of phrase there. <laughs> what a tit I am. Anyway, my highlight of the week was not Jude Bellingham seeing off the likes of Camavinga and Pedri and Gavi and Musiala to get the, uh, the Copper Trophy um, at the Ballon d'Or this week, the young player of the year, basically. But it was Jude Bellingham, who is 20 years of age, remember. He's gone to Spain... And he had a little game last weekend known as El Clasico. Not only has the lad twatted one in from 25 yards, which some people might say Ter Stegen could have done a bit better with. He got a hand too, but I think it was a lovely strike. A very quick snap shot. Not a Schlotterbeck, it was a snap shot. bang Quick one. Um, and then he obviously got the poachers goal at the very end there to clinch the win to make it. And I'm not making this up. Ten goals in ten league games so far for Real Madrid for someone... I know he's playing adv- a sort of cam come second striker role, and maybe centre forward. You put it on FIFA if you want to talk in those sort of terms. But he's still sort of an attacking midfielder. So he's the stuff he's doing. You think it can't get any more ridiculous than last weekend comes along?
1: He's he's a, he's a very good footballer, isn't he? Yeah. Um, what more is left to be said about him? Yeah, swine. But uh, he's absolutely flourishing there. Um, and what well, I always forget how old he is. Is he is he twenty yet? He's is tw- or is he still twenty? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So if if he stays injury free and playing a good game, and obviously as we've seen growing up, as the retirement age of footballers gets later and later. Uh, we could have Jude Bellingham potentially for another 20 years and he's not even at his peak yet. It's horrible, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I hope it's not a case where, you know, we we're speaking about Rooney and uh, who Aiden Hazard on the podcast a couple of weeks ago saying they played so much so young that by the time mm. they got to 26, 27, 28, 29, whatever... The drop off was noticeable just because their bodies couldn't hack it anymore. So, hopefully, I think that's the one asterisk maybe next to Bellingham's name. The fact he is only 20 years of age now, he's not 21 until the 29th of June. Is Jude Victor William Bellingham.
1: Oh, that's a strong name.
0: It's it? a very strong name. So yeah, hopefully the fact he's playing this much football now and doing what he's doing, he might have, from the team's perspectives that he's playing for, if he's doing the good, you're not going to not play him, are you? Because think, oh, in six or seven years time, you might be a little bit tired.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. If you've got, um, especially in that ridiculous Real Madrid midfield, and while the league is not as strong across the board as it has been in previous years, it's, just run them run them into the ground and win everything basically uh but looking at his england
0: caps there he's 20 and a half basically and he's got 27 caps already he's going to be he's going to break the record isn't he surely
1: yeah yeah you you think 20 and a half what was i doing at 20 and a half just being a horrible little scrotum, I think I was. Yeah. yeah. I can't really talk about what I was doing at that age on the podcast. Uh,
0: now we move on to Darren <laughs> England and Daniel Cook Memorial Twat of the Week. I'll go first for this segment. I'm going to go for this iShow Speed fella, who I'm not entirely sure what he is. I see him on social media from time to time just saying footballers' names wrong because I don't know if it's a bit or if he generally doesn't know, but it's funny to watch anyway. Uh, I quite enjoy that. Um, but this week he was at the Ballon d'Or Awards. Somehow they let him in. I'm not entirely sure why. But the reason he is my Darren England and Daniel Cook Memorial twat of the week for this week, uh, Wednesday, November the 1st, is because when he was sat, well, Messi was being awarded with the award. And in the build-up to it, he's going like, oh, please be Ronaldo. Please be Ronaldo. And then when it's announced as Messi, which everyone ex- everyone knew this before the award ceremony anyway. I just this, I think this is me showing my age and not getting what the kids get these in this day and age you know all the cool streamers and whatnot but the way he's like what bro no i can't believe it then he starts barking like a dog he in a, in a, uh, inadvertently starts the the standing ovation because uh, he sort of stands up, going like well oh, no i can't believe it And then people all around him start standing up and going yes well done lionel yes well done but the real. Just I don't I, I hate vloggers anyway. Which it's gonna sound weird because obviously I'm one of those YouTube c words as a as a as a day job anyway. But you know the ones that you know, try to make everything all about themselves all the time when they're walking around with their selfie sticks and whatnot. That that breed especially I bloody hate them. That breed of YouTuber. You got your bath bomb ones over here. Can't it stand them. Your, your selfie stick vloggers can't it stand them either. I think vlogging's a cancer on this content creating wheel that we know as life today. But the way he just, the, I just it made me angry the fact that he was in the room for such, you know, surrounded by people like he was, you know, all the great players in the world currently. And just the fact he tried to do that when Messi was getting his award. I'm not a big not, like, Messi's the best player of all time, but I'm not like Gary Lineker where I want to suck Messi off. But I just I thought it was just a bit like. <laughs> Just wait until after this show's over before you do some bollocks like that, like you tosser.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, I didn't even know who this clown was and you sent it to me and I got angry. I was like, who do you think you are? You absolute nobody. It's a black tie event. And this goes to me saying like what I think about, I know we don't like to mention it too much on this channel, but like with say the WWE Hall of Fame, this should not be, this should be an event for the players. This should be an event for the staff, the coaches, etc. behind closed doors, with some reporters to tell what happened. This shouldn't be some kind of glitzy, oh, let's see who we can get here kind of thing. No, it's it's for them. It's not for us. And yeah, end. One, if this is a bit him saying, oh, I hope Ronaldo gets it. Why would Ronaldo get it for a start? Two, it's symptomatic of these weird social media gimps who support <laughs> players and not teams. And three, oh, just, just stop modern football.
0: I liked how you called him dumb. a nobody. He's got 21.3 million subscribers on YouTube. That was the background noise you just heard there, by the way. It was one of his videos playing by mistake. But just to let you know who he is, he's called Darren Jason Watkins Jr., born on the 21st of January 2000, uh, 2005. He's a YouTuber, a rapper, a streamer. He's best known for his variety of live streams in which he primarily plays video games, including FIFA, Fortnite, Minecraft, and Roblox.
1: Oh, there's too many geeks in this world. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he's a rapper. You can't be a geek and a rapper, can you?
1: Yeah, very much so. Most of d- the rappers I like are geeks, to be fair. To be but fair- still. Oh, I man. saw
0: Daniel Radcliffe doing that Alphabet Song thing. It was on Jimmy Fallon or something like that. It's on YouTube. He must have seen the clip. Yeah,
1: yeah it's, he's, he's doing, um, isn't he doing mathematics by most Deaf?
0: Potentially, yes. Uh, but yeah, he's, yeah. He's, a, he's a nerdy rapper as well. Dan, Daniel, Daniel Radcliffe
1: there.
0: Who's <laughs> your twat of the week, Jarkins?
1: My Darren England and Daniel Cook Memorial Twat of the Week is Vincent Company. Oh, Vincent. Oh, Crimeo a river. You talented, seemingly very nice man. Um, his remarks on VAR have bitten him right in the arse, haven't they? Um, almost, it's, it's almost like Vincent these people just make mistakes. You've got to swallow it and move on, mate. But obviously we, we, we saw it the weekend, um, a, a VAR decision that took far too long at the end of Bournemouth and Burnley. Was it five minutes? Was it to, to, to decide if something was, um, Uh, deemed as offside or not and they drew the lines in the wrong places and that but he seemed more aggrieved at the fact that there was the call for a potential handball at the end that just wasn't looked at as the referees wanted to wrap it up and he was there in his post-match comments just saying like oh I don't know what VAR's doing and this was a few weeks after like again this is a bit of schadenfreude I'm not trying to bring it back around to Liverpool but as I was saying at the time When there is a massive thing like VAR not being fit for purpose, everyone needs to come together and use their platform to call it out. And him saying, oh, it's just people making mistakes and now it's bit him on the arse. No sympathy for you, mate. Um, So shut your mouth and use your platform to demand change and a tightening of standards. You twat. I still (laughs) really respect you as a player and I do still think you're a very nice guy, but, you know, shut up. (laughs)
0: Fair enough. What goes around comes around, eh? That has really bit him on the arse, though. (laughs)
1: <laughs> oh, it really has. Yeah. Um, as, as soon as it was, uh, as it happened, I went on Twitter and it was, I'll admit, on social media, Liverpool fans, we can be an absolute shower of gob, you know what? And every news source that was posting it, it was just littered with Liverpool fans in the comments saying, just, oh, it's all right then. It doesn't matter though, does it mate? It's just one of that." But we need, it's, it's the, it's the tribalistic nature of football fans that, Everyone's not going to get on the same page for something like this because it's kind of funny, isn't it, at times? But if we if we want VAR to either be abolished or scrapped in its current form or changed, then we've all got to kind of agree that it's crap
0: yeah i hope it goes away i really do i hope it goes away until as i said earlier it's not just several more layers of potential human error until it's actual technology that brings everything beyond any shadow of any doubt get rid of the bollocks i'm sick of speaking about it anyway we move on to brighton sorry to give it its full title, welcome to Brighton and Hove Albion fullback, Purvis Estepinion. What are you talking about? <laughs> this is, of course, the segment where we take a hot take from a viewer and either pull it apart or agree with it. This week, I can sense which way it could go. This comes to us from Scott Spencer. Here we go, Scott. He says, My Purvis opinion is that I don't think Phil Foden is as good as he is hyped up to be, and he's only reached the heights because City are so good themselves because I see him do nothing for England. When you compare him to Saka or Martinelli, they are much more involved. Your thoughts?
1: Um, I'm in the middle on this one. I can see the line of thinking. I don't think it's one of those shouts that's worthy of like a public flogging. But you... it's. to, to open up the book of uh, football and cliches, he passes the eyeball test Phil Foden. You can see that he's a very good player. Uh, we've said many times he's, he still hasn't seemingly established a permanent place for himself in the city side. And yes, he, he can... <clears throat> ...overshadowed sometimes by some of the absolute embarrassment of riches around him. But I think most Premier League teams, Phil Foden walks into him. But at the same time, you can... Argue he has been overhyped to a degree, but he's he's a fantastic... I'm I'm on the fence on this one. I can't go either side of this because I can see both sides of the argument. For me, though, I do think Phil Foden is a special, special talent.
0: I think Scott Spencer is full of bollocks. Michael bollocks because bringing the <laughs> bringing the England thing into it is nonsensical because of the manager we've got in charge of England. The manager we've got in Gareth Southgate is not set up for players like Phil Foden to flourish. I know that players like Rashford have their moments, so obviously Harry Kane, his goal score record's fantastic, but for exciting fair, flair players like Foden who flourish when their team's in possession for long periods of time, when their teams are on the front foot, that is not how Gareth Southgate set up England we are very much a back foot team go on the counter where everything's just about get forward and go by and large when we come against up against the teams where we aren't just you know spaffing them six and seven nil or whatever in qualification games so I think the England argument there is nonsensical and I think maybe compared to Martinelli isn't fair because Martinelli is very much a different player for me I think Phil Foden is a generational talent I think if he was having a better manager for England, he was more suited. More like what Pep does with Man City, obviously, but without being Pep somehow, if that person even exists out there in the world today. I think you'd, your perversessed opinion here
1: would not be your opinion at all. <laughs> but, but but Ross, how are Gareth Elfgate, going to get Jordan Henderson on the side? That's what I want to know.
0: I don't know, Jack Huggins, but I really do just hope Jordan Henderson eventually, when he, when the time is right, when the time is right for Jordan Henderson to spread his message, I hope he's successful in spreading it because we're now sat here in November and he still hasn't spread his message. I know he's playing in front of 900 people, which is what people dream of, you know, Boreham would in the conference have an average attendance of 1,400. Yeah, El Ati, you know what, in the Saudi Pro League have their average attendance of 800 or 900, something like that. But the fact that Henderson, he's just stra- He's just, he's, he's he's building up for that perfect moment to spread his message, which is why he went over to Saudi Arabia. I hope when that time comes, he really knocks it out the park. I'm really willing for Jordan Henderson to do good things over there. Just admit you went for the money, you clown. <laughs>
1: <laughs> couldn't have put it better myself, Ross.
0: <laughs> but I hopefully, I just think Phil Thorn's a, a, a wonderful player. I think if you stick Phil Thorn in, in most teams, I think he just, he shines above everybody else in the team. Who isn't Manchester yeah. City, obviously.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I think that has been part of the, why I can kind of understand that line of thinking. Because we said the, the, the amount of players in City is starting 11 week in, week out, where Foden can't guarantee that he's one of the first names on the team sheet. But like you said, you put him in most other teams. Um And he's a starter every week. He is very, very good. But I do think the media has hyped him a little bit. I was expecting him to be a case of the the Jack Wilshers before he really established himself. But he has... He's done it for a few seasons now, hasn't he? So... Yeah. Yeah.
0: Some might have called Phil Thurden once upon a time a wunderkind. Which leads us on nicely to our next segment, Jackie Orlando's What Happened to that Wunderkind? Please, Jack. Who is it this week?
1: Yeah... (laughs) Well, Ross, my good friend, uh, we didn't rehearse that because we never rehearse anything for this. Um it's it's not as uh it's not as uh disheartening a tale of failed uh, potential this week, because we are looking at Ibrahim Athalai.
0: Ah so. sorry <laughs>
1: caught we really off guard though <laughs> with that the, the, the wide-eyed manic look in your face I've just not um, thought about him for years I forgot he was a thing Yeah, he's one of them, isn't he? So for those not in the know, you know, Dutch attacking midfielder could also play on the wing. Born in April 1986. So he is one of few people on this planet older than myself. So he joined PSV Eindhoven age 10, eventually made a senior debut age 17 in a KNVB Cup game against NAC Breda in February 2004. And would sign a deal that would run until 2007. A broken toe would, you know, kind of like be a bit of a bump in the road, and he'd only managed nine games in the 04-05 season. But he did manage two goals and an assist in a 4-2 win over Feyenoord and a sub-appearance in the KNVB Cup final win over Willem II. But it's in the 05-06 season, he became a regular for PSV, played in the midfield three with Timmy Simons and Philip Uh 34 appearances, two goals, all competitions and their Eredivisie title. Next season, 34-6, another league title. season, 33-2, and and another league win. Contract extension, keeping him until 2011. Everything is looking absolutely mustard. The 08-09 season, and he started banging them in with 13-28 in the league. But uh, a a bit of an injury in April forced him to miss the run-in. PSV fourth. 09-10, became vice-captain. Eventually took the armband at the end of the season But as the uh, 2010-2011 season started, he's now 24, captain of PSV. He's won the league three or four times and he revealed he would not be signing a new deal with PSV. Uh, PSV were kind of backed into a corner as the winter break came. They accepted a bid of just €3 million from Barcelona and he signed a four and a half year deal for them. So he moves to Barcelona and this is, we're, we're talking here, which season is this? 2010 2011 Barcelona, what a team to sign for. Um, we, we've well, I say we, you uh, with our Leno Morrison talking about you know the greatest sides of all time and that that 2010 2011 Barca sides up there. Um, so he goes into that team, 28 appearances and two goals in all competitions, wins La Liga, he gets the Champions League, he um. Puts one on a plate for Messi in the semi final, comes on the 90th minute in the final against United. It's all looking good. And then it just, this is where he becomes an entrant into the Wunderkind series. So he gets a hamstring injury in preseason going into the uh, 11 12 season. Then he gets an ACL injury in September 2011. Uh, 2011 that would require surgery and he was out for seven months and only managed five appearances come to the 2012 2013 series and uh, uh, Tito Vieira had taken over from Pep Guardiola and he told Afalai he was like look you're going to find playing time plentiful this season Um, so a low move was sorted to Schalke so 12-13 season he's a Schalke 15 appearances and four goals then a muscle injury in November, then a further injury in January during a friendly. He saw his arse for Schalke's medical setup, so returned to Holland and then went back to Barcelona in May for early training. And then he was trying to get back to fitness, went back early, was trying to get all good. And then in August before the 13-14 season, another muscle injury and he went under the knife and he'd make one more Barcelona appearance. So prior to the 14-15 season, he'd accept a loan move to Arcos, scored on his debut 29 appearances, six goals in all competitions. Uh, won the league. It's all seeming good. End of the season, released by Barcelona and signed for Stoke. So I'd completely forgotten that he played for Stoke. I'd, it's just one of those occurrences that had just pinged out of my head. And he was there for years as well. Yeah. But what happened to Ibrahim Afellay at Stoke Ross? So 15, 16 season, 36 appearances, three goals all competitions stoke finished ninth and then he did his knee again in april 2016 more surgery and five months out when he comes back he's unable to nail down a spot on mark hughes's side happy birthday mark hughes <laughs> leslie uh a tw- uh, bit big les big, big, big les hughes Ooh, he sounds <laughs> like he drives a milk float doesn't he um 16 17 season he 13 appearances, season after, just six, because he fell out spectacularly with Paul Lambert, who'd taken <laughs> over, and he was ordered to stay away from the club. Could you ima- I'm imagine that as a fight on the train pitch?
0: Could you imagine being managed by Pep for a little bit, and then Tito, and then finding yourself eventually with Paul Lambert?
1: <laughs> no wonder he fell out. He probably. I wonder if he played the big I am saying, I I, I was part of Pep Guardiola's Barcelona so like, <laughs> <laughs> But he was ordered to stay away from the club and then he had another major knee injury in the 2018-2019 season and his contract was terminated in January 2019. He'd returned to PSV in summer 2019 but would make just four appearances in the 2019-2020 season and then retired in January 2021 saying, what I wanted has not happened but I am at peace with it. You know that this moment will come sooner or later. It's fine like this. And unlike other players we've looked at. It's not a bad career um, to look back on. You know, he won loads. Uh, he played in the top leagues, 53 caps and seven goals for the Netherlands. He's part of the 20, uh, 2010 World Cup and 2012 Euros squads. Um, like I said, but part of that all-conquering Barcelona side, although, you know, just a, a squad player, really. Uh, won everything with PSV. Won the Greek League with Olympiakos. Played in the Premier League with Stoke but I went on transfer market and I'd like it look a proper breakdown of his injury record. So before Barcelona, he just, he'd only missed two competitive fixtures for his time with PSV. He then, you know, obviously had that first muscle strain and he missed five games. And then after his ACL injury and recurring injuries after that, he'd miss 184 games in total across his career. So it's just, there's, there's weird kind of parallels to Michael Owen. I, like to say here, not in the fact that they both ended up at Stoke, but just the fact that after after that major injury, they just weren't the same player. They couldn't reach the heights they were. They still had a bit of name value, so could go from team to team, but just one bad injury just derailed his career. But uh, not not as sad a tale for Ibrahim Afellay.
0: Yeah, I didn't realize he started so early. as two thousand and four at PSV. Like, because you look at this, he's thirty seven now. And it's, mm-hmm. it, what I was mentioning earlier about Bellingham, the hope is the fact that Bellingham's played so much football now, it doesn't eventually bugger him down the line because I think that's what's happened here with a
1: Yeah, exactly. Because, I mean, you see it with, with some players, you know, in the... the the dreaded growing pains. Like Steven Gerrard had it earlier in his Liverpool career where he'd missed loads of time out because he was still growing and adapting and adjusting. And once he kind of got out of the system, he was fine. But obviously an ACL injury like this, it's, you're not going to come back the same player and you're just going to be hoping that you can come back at all. So that's why we were saying before about Bellingham, if he can stay fit and injury free, he could be an absolute all-timer.
0: Why? Uh, because I'm just looking at the Stoke transfer window for the 15-16 season. I guess this is, yeah, this is both both transfer windows in that season. The standout names, Hossolu arrives from Hanover for 5.75 million. Shea Given arrives from Aston Villa on a free. Glenn Johnson, sorry, Aston yeah, Aston Villa on a free. Uh, Glenn Johnson arrives from Liverpool on a free. So that's when he joins Stoke. Afolai is on there. Sergio Molina arrives from Real Madrid. Never heard of him. Gerardan Shakiri arrives from Inter Milan for 12 million. And the be-all and end-all, the Bobby Dazzler of the entire two transfer windows. Do you remember? Janelli Mbula? who they spunked 18... 18- <laughs> £18 million on. It was the January 2016 window right at the end. I remember we was one of the deadline day sign-ins, and they're like, oh, can they get them done? I don't know why that was my Jim White there, but there we go. Got my (laughs) yellow tie on, speaking like Jim White apparently. (laughs) But yeah, it went right down the way if memory memory serves, and £18.3 wielded, let me have a quick look, 26 appearances over four years and two goals for Stoke.
1: Ooh a money well spent I was going to say the the rest of those those uh Incoming sound quite nice. Obviously, Jadon Shakiri seemed like a weird one at the time, but ended up doing all right for Stoke. Uh, you said Glenn Johnson signed. I'll let you know that was John Glenson because Liverpool signed Glenn Johnson, and then he just went completely <laughs> crap at one point. And we like to say it was his, uh, his twin brother, John Glenson, who's taken his place.
0: But Stoke, that season, finished ninth, 51 points. Could you imagine that mm-hmm. now? Under, under yeah. Mark Hughes, sorry, Leslie Hughes's uh, football playing red and whites because <laughs> that was the big thing wasn't it when Mark Hughes took over Stoke it was like <coughs> oh we're done with the purest days along throw-ins and long balls this is now Mark Hughes' time sorry Leslie Hughes' time to play football on the grass
1: <laughs> that was a lovely Welsh accent as well there Russ
0: Aye, <laughs> right, but there we go what a shame for our flag. yeah it just seems like injuries was the big reason that his career didn't get to where probably might have done at one point anyway we will, we move on now to the Roberto Mailbagio please get your submitted to rossandholdingiv.com we kick things off hello charming chaps you answered my mailbag ba- 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 boo- 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 you answered my mailbag a month ago about comparing football players and teams to NBA players and teams I've heard the hold the winky story from Ross involving of course Paul Gascoigne and Sir Leslie Ferdinand but I want more stories to look up so I'm back with comparison but this time about weird or stupid stories and players. I'm not looking for someone who's done the same exact thing, but someone who has done something equally as stupid. So we're kicking things off with Palaxio Bores, an American football player who accidentally shot himself at a nightclub and went to prison for it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um, the, the one that came to mind for me is that, again, it's not quite the same, but the, the first one that came to mind was uh, when Mario Balotelli set fireworks off inside his own house and set his roof on fire.
0: exact same thing popped in my head straight away because <laughs> I can't think of a football footballer with a firearm. Can you?
1: Um, Probably someone we might mention in a few minutes, but uh, not, not, no kind of live fire exercises, now. But uh, Balotelli, when he was his Man City madness pomp, yeah, he was—he was a pure Barclays
0: yeah, in his, in his own bathroom, setting off fireworks for some reason. That was the story there. Uh, <laughs> Paul Pierce, who faked an injury to be wheelchaired from the NBA court during the game so people wouldn't see that he, sh- he pooed himself, which leads me straight to Jason Puncheon. He poos when he wants. He poos when he wants. It was a game between Southampton and somebody at St. Mary's. Cause I think he played for – no, he would have played for Crystal Palace at the time, Southampton Crystal Palace then. And he had to go off just as <laughs> the second half was kicking off. Because he had to go for a poo, I think that was the story, wasn't it? So he had to, and he came back on when he was done. Or, of course, you got to go to Gary Lineker, who had a little poo on the pitch at the World Cup at Italian 90 and wiped his arse like a dog would by uh, wiping it across the grass.
1: Yeah, I was thinking Lineker as well. It's the fact that the camera picks him up, like saying to his mates, uh, "I've, uh, I've." <clears throat> myself here. And then like you said, he does the old, the old Gucci rub on the, on the hallowed turf to get rid of all that gunch from us on (laughs) the crackers. the gooch, the spot between
0: the balls and the butthole. Kyrie Irving is a very talented player who considers himself a thinking man <coughs> from uh, from flat earth to anti-vax and worse. And there's only one answer in the world of football right now, and that is a certain Matthew Letizia, who has gone right off the, right off the like, well, whatever he's gone off. He's off his head, I think, most of the time. Just the conspiracy theories. I saw him the other day, you know, on the, the For You page on Twitter, which is like people you don't hmm. follow, but stuff you're interested in. In. He was on mine saying, Well, the electric car conspiracy's over with then. Ha <laughs> ha, they can't get us now. And I'm thinking, What is the electric car conspiracy? What, what can governments do? Is it the fact that it can turn off the electricity so you can't charge your car anymore? I don't know what the conspiracy is. But yeah, Matt Letitia, fantastic <laughs> footballer. Obviously, his career didn't reach the heights it should have because he was lazy, by and large. And he, he could have got to different mm. clubs like Chelsea and Spurs in the 90s, but he didn't. Mercurial, I think, is the word we used as his talents on the football pitch but weird is what his current frame of mind is now the
1: the the electric car conspiracy sounds like a really bad funk band um (laughs) but yeah and in in terms of someone being a space cadet it's definitely Matt Letizia if you want to go the other kind of side of it someone who's a thinking man but who is actually a thinking man you've got to go with Eric Canton are and all this, you know, philosophical waxings about trawlers and stuff like that. But, Do you
0: remember when Joey Barton was literally yeah, trying to make himself a thinking man when he was a player, like <laughs> re, like quoting Morrissey and stuff like that?
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I've, I've told you about the time that I went to a, a Foles gig and Joey Barton turned up with his mates and Barton was trying to keep his head down at the back. His mates were just horrible. They were pissing in cups and throwing it at people and it looked like they were in the mood for a bit quality let's say that way so we were just like let's stay away from those horrible lads
0: yeah they don't sound very yeah. nice do they uh we move on to doc ellis uh, pitches a yeah. no hitter in baseball extremely hard and rare while on lsd gaza
1: but gaza still performs. um well i was i was I, I was gonna say the entire arsenal team of the early 90s on the piss um <laughs> Or it's got to be Maradona, USA 90. Absolutely offers naught on the Colombian marching powder.
0: That camera angle where he's running towards the, well, running towards the camera celebrating, his eyes are popping out of his head, is absolutely fantastic. Um, I was Before we got to the LSD part at <laughs> the end, I was going to say just Titus Bramble, because I've never seen him proverbially pitch the no-hitter in baseball, which is extremely rare and hard. Go, oh, no, no, extremely rare and hard is a good thing, isn't it? I was just thinking of Titus Bramble doing all the wrong things all the time. So I think there's someone who's scaled unthinkable heights while off their face, the exact opposite to Titus Brown, <coughs> Huh, oh, probably is Gazza Maradona's yeah. got to be the two standouts. Paul Nelson as well, but uh yeah. Chad Johnson, which is a fantastic American name. Uh I assume. Uh legally changed his name to Oko Oko Okachinko. How are you saying that? Ocuch- Ocho Cinco? Ocho Cinco. Ocho that, Cinco? That's the one I Ocho I'll go Cinco. With. Cheers, Jaggins, yeah. for saving me. I was drowning. Uh, the jersey number he wore. Oh, the. Oh, right. The jersey number he wore. Oh, the Ocho, Ocho Cinco. Chris Jericho. <laughs> mm. Eight.
1: He's Chris Jericho. Um, the one that pops to mind is you probably have the same one. Uh, Ivan Zamorano at Inter. So, obviously, Zamorano was number nine at Inter. Roberto Baggio came and demanded the number 10, but Ronaldo had the 10, so Ronaldo took the nine. And Zamorano was like, I'm, I'm number nine. He's like, I'll take 18, but make sure there's a little plus sign between the one and the eight, please.
0: Apparently, that's why Mario Balotelli had 45 as well, because four plus five equals nine, but he couldn't have number nine. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. The one that comes to my mind there is uh, Edgar Davids at Barnet. When he gave himself the number one shirt because he <laughs> believed he was the number one at the club. <laughs> we should explain. To are, people are you going to say know. no
1: to Edgar Davids, though?
0: I know. I was gonna, we should explain. Barnett, I think, were in League Two at the time. So you got Premier League, Championship, League One, League Two. It's like the fourth tier of English football, I think they were at the time. Maybe even the conference. And he, Edgar Davids has obviously you know, reached the top of the game, Inter Milan, Spurs. Ajax, uh, Dutch International, one with the glasses on, you know, he's an iconic man and he arrived at League 2 or League 1, well no, League 2 of the conference and just said, yeah, I'm the best here, I'll have number one please.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I remember when he signed for Barnet, and we were just like, Really, I get off a Barnet. Oh, good luck to him.
0: Yeah, I don't know. he did. Let us know if you know. Uh, Ryan from Birmingham again. Uh, it's been an interesting few weeks as a Blues fan, to say the least. It seems our new ownership assembling the Avengers with Wayne Rooney, Ashley Cole, and John O'Shea among the coaching staff. Three <coughs> big players in the game when I was growing up. My question is, which former Which player from the current era or player who was recently retired? Do you think would be a successful manager? Should they choose to do so? If I had to pick a player, it was rec- uh, who was recently retired. It would be. Cesc Fabregas having heard him as a pundit it's clear he has a keen eye for the game and has a very tactical mind not to mention the wealth of experience he gained as a player if I was playing the long game my pick would be Martin Odegaard as it's clear that he's a natural leader a talented footballer and respected by his peers and coaches we'll love to know your thoughts up the tune later on today this was sent last week but it still applies today another Wednesday game Ryan Lavery there thank you very much Ryan
1: um Fabregas is a great shout. Um, I'm, I'm going to go on a bit, of a bit of a journey through the mind of good old Clive F here. It, it always seemed to me as a kid, it was like the, the, the so-called lesser players who made the better managers. But obviously that's changed now with Pep and Zidane, et cetera, Being you know at the top of the game on the field and off the field. So going on my initial beliefs, I want to say someone like Gareth Barry. Or Ryan Shaw, you know, not a Champions League winner, but a good, respectable career in the dugout. Or, you know, James Milner. James Milner would be good. Um, If we want to go for a superstar, I can see Kevin De Bruyne being mustard because he's a very good footballer and he seems like quite unflappable, quite steely. And you can imagine him in a suit looking like a a giant baby, but somehow winning everything. (laughs) <laughs> now, on Kevin De Bruyne, there his his like
0: his winners main mentality always shines. I sound like such a wanky gimp, don't I? His winners <laughs> mentality always shines through when you see these little behind the scenes videos of goings on at Manchester City, like training. He seems like he's got very high standards.
1: Mm, yeah, and I think I think they'd follow him into a career in management. Ross, what about you?
0: I'll go Kieran Trippier, James Milner. From you, there's a very good shout because I remember watching a couple of those, like you know, in Liverpool, pre- like pre-season trading videos out I was always checking out the ones with the bleep tests on just to see and that one where they just do laps of the pitch because obviously Milner that's where that's why he made his name at Liverpool doing that sort of stuff up until he was 47 years of age so Milner's a good shout but (laughs) Trippier since he arrived at Newcastle just watching him bark at people on the pitch the guy runs games from right back. I say this a lot on this channel, but it's true. He literally runs games from right back. He had an awful game last weekend as we're sat here right now, which means, obviously, I'm saying this at the best possible time. But by and large, since he signed for Newcastle, he hasn't put too many feet wrong in a year and a half, going on two years. Um, so, yeah, him, he's he's unreal. He's You know, you he, go through so many years, as Newcastle did, of having, like, you know, you got best in class, then you've got, like, you know, you wrote the league class, and you've got, like, just... Yeah, Premier League class, but they're not very good. We had ten to twelve, maybe fourteen years of like not very good. And when he arrived, you just saw, oh my god, we've got a proper footballer again for the first time in ages.
1: Yeah, I I remember when you signed him. I think we'd probably had discussions in the office about how that was seen as a coup at the time. Because I want to say he was like the first major name. Brought on board as part of this new Newcastle revolution. Unless I'm getting my timeline mixed up. No, he, up, he was.
0: He was the first one.
1: Yeah, but it's it's it, it looks like it's it's paid off for him already. Like you said, playing in the Champions League uh, with Newcastle United. Who who would have thought we'd be saying that two years ago?
0: Not me. What a lovely man who came back to England to, to appease his wife and for a pay cut to boot as well. What a wholesome man as well. Uh, hello boys! As a big Wolves fan who had a glimmer of hope a few years ago and I thought we'd be doing a bit of a Brighton before Brighton I've seen big clubs coming in to nab our players. We as a fan base understood and we were pleased for Neves getting his Saudi move for a bajillion pounds as he had been loyal and a great servant in his years here but the likes of Mateus Nunez going on strike to force a move which would have gone through anyway as we were desperate for the cash left such a sour taste now a mouse to the point where we where his where we made his life a hell uh, where his life hell excuse me a few weeks ago and he got knocked he got hooked at half time. Excuse me. Hopefully that made sense. I'm having a stroke. I'm rambling. So am I. But with the unbelievable form that Juan Pedro Neto is in at the moment, uh, the inevitable derisory offer from a Big Six team coming in January through sheer arrogance. Uh, what are your opinions on the actions of the Big Six feeling they can offer lower transfer fees just to unsettle a player? Thanks for the content on both channels that comes from Sam. So you should probably speak more to this because we don't do that.
1: Uh, it. It's a trickle-down effect, isn't it? I mean, unless you're Real Madrid or Barca, you will get bullied for players and talent will become unsettled. Uh, Speaking as a Liverpool fan, we've had it for years from Barcelona on many occasions, such as Coutinho going on strike and, you know, saying he had a bad back and all that until we kind of gave in and, you know, pulled their pants down in hindsight. Saudi League tried to gut our squad before the season started. Obviously, Wolves will have no doubt done it to teams abroader and lower leagues. It's it's unfortunately just the nature of the beast. Um, yeah, there's there's only a handful of teams in the world that can get away with not getting bullied for the. I mean, look look at the look at the Bundesliga, Borussia Dortmund. Every time they've fantastic squad, and Bayern Munich just go, we're having all them, and they just go, yeah, you are, aren't you? Here you go. But um, I, can, I, can, I can sympathize. Um, but I do, do you think, right, going off on a bit of a tangent, because obviously um, Neto pulled up at the weekend, didn't he, with his hamstring. If this is not just like a muscle pull, say if he's out for a little while and he comes back and he regains his form, but manages to avoid any bids in January, do you feel this could be a, a blessing in disguise for Wolves? Or do you think that they are... Uh, a bit desperate without him.
0: A blessing this guy because they'll get money from eventually. Do you think?
1: Oh, as as in they'll they'll definitely keep him for January and then you know hopefully have him back for the rest of the season. I oh, don't know. Yeah. I don't. I don't know the severity of his injury. I don't know. I haven't heard anything sense.
0: If it's a big enough injury to put teams off, because we us lads in the in the WhatsApp group watching the game at the weekend, we're like, oh God, that Pedro Neto looks good. I know he's a very pacey player. He was going up against Dan Byrne, who is the opposite of pacey. He is slow, uh, so he was made to look even better than he probably is, actually. But I've had him in the FPL team for a fair few weeks now, and every single week he gets an assist. So that means he's a very, very good player by modern-day kid standards. Um, but yeah, he is an mm. exciting player, so if it, it is an injury that keeps him out until just about January arrives, I think that's enough to put teams off and maybe does keep him at Wolves, and it might just be a blessing in disguise for the rest of their season. But then again, if he stays fit, I think he's a goner for sure next summer because he is a fantastic footballer.
1: And uh, to go back to Sam's question, uh, what do you feel about the the sheer arrogance of the top six teams for and I, and other teams for bullying over transfer fees? I think
0: it might be a dying thing in football because of one place in the world, and that is Saudi Arabia. I think we're going to be feeling like, uh, well. We're going to be, how do I phrase this? As a Newcastle fan, I've seen the players like Johan Kabay, name any stand-up player Newcastle side of the Mike Ashley era. They always got sold on and it always was a heartbreaker. I think now teams at the top of the Premier League might be feeling that similar thing, missing out on transfers they would normally get before the Saudi Pro League was a thing, uh, seeing players who they want to keep getting over to Saudi Remy because the unlimited funds they can offer. I think it's a feeling that the big teams in the Premier League might feel more do, more so than they... Would give to other teams if that makes sense in the past.
1: Yeah. 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 Because I, I think we've mentioned it before that when the, uh, with the, when COVID hit with the COVID season, we thought we were reaching the kind of pinnacle of like late stage capitalism within football. We thought after the moves that PSG have made and stuff like this, we, we won't see players going for the crazy figures again. We thought that the kind of, with the economic trickle-down effects of leagues getting postponed and paused and all that stuff, we thought, oh, transfer, you know, dealings will come down, it'll become a bit more sensible. But now we've got the Saudi league going and it's just gone absolutely berserk again. So, yeah, it's it's... it'll be interesting to see where it goes but uh, horrible at the same time I think
0: yeah I mean I support a team who paid 25 million for Chris Wood so I don't know what it's like for my team to offer derisory fees for players we seem to offer a little bit of the market value then get charged a bit more on top of that as well so I might get to know what that feels like over the coming years I might not do
1: (laughs) (laughs) well We'll, 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 we'll wait and see I mean you might have a, you might have so many riches from a lawsuit against the AC Milan which is what I think you should definitely do by the way
0: I think if they knew because we did get him some remember Captain Champions League semi-final, Scudetta winner as well. We got him surprisingly Mm. easily. I know we're paid 60 million, which some said was over the odds, but there wasn't really a back and forth of like, oh, we've made a bid. Oh, it's been rejected. Oh, we've made a bigger bid. Oh, it's been rejected. It felt like we made one big bid and then that was it. He was sold straight away. So if they did know, I don't know what we can even get from that situation, but I think it's something we definitely need to sort of look at.
1: I mean, c- could you could you recoup some of the transfer cut? I mean, Milan is are skint, aren't he? All the Italian teams are skint. I don't know. It's. I think you should sue them, though. Yeah. Me, it's me sounding like a big horrible Thatcher right there. Sue <laughs> them. That's the that's the cure to all the world's ills. <laughs> <laughs> no, it isn't, Jarkins. What you need to do
0: is sell your Porsche. If you sell your Porsche, everything's going to be fine. Did you see that last week? Made me
1: sick. It's horrible, isn't it?
0: Against all the odds, I went to my father-in-law and said, I, I don't have the money to put down a deposit on a flat. He said, sell the Porsche. And I sold the Porsche. And what's better, I bought that same Porsche 10 years later. Talk about losing <laughs> grips on reality, eh? Whatever. Right, that was the end of the Holding Your <laughs> Football podcast. Episode 22, Two Little Ducklings. How are you feeling about it? <sniffs>
1: it's it's yeah it's it's crazy um it, it it's it's gone by in a flash we're currently sitting here in the cold dark depths of autumn me unwell and with a bad back you just up, always glowing and wonderful as usual I'm blowing some there
0: i always look very red on this podcast it's these fancy elgato streaming lights i've got they always make me look like alan brazil on the radio <laughs> i'm not this red in real life honest even though the lights do make me look like that anyway whatever we'll end the podcast there thank you very much for listening we'll be back next week no we won't because i'm away in germany so we'll have to be another placeholder podcast in some form we'll work that out when we stop recording i leave on sunday and hopefully come back early thursday morning if unless i get stabbed or get lost or something else so hopefully I'm back next well two weeks time with our regular podcast if not it's been nice knowing you all thank you for giving hold and give a chance I don't know what I'm doing now but yeah we'll work out something for next week because I'm away and then we'll be back with our regular scheduled broadcast for the rest of the year I think I think that's nobody else has got anything planned have they are you gonna die <laughs> I've
1: got a, I've, I've, I've got a week off uh, in a couple of weeks but it's during an international break. And then after that, we should be all right.
0: Way high, chips and pie. I've been Ross, joined by Jackins. Enjoy your chips and pie, meat-free or meat variations. I never know how to end these. Right, see you later, everybody. Goodbye.